the last couple of weeks we've kind of taken a, a sidetrack, and if we didn't do it for you, we did it for me. Um, and that is, we went and began to, we spent some time the last two weeks looking at spiritual warfare. There's lots of things you could talk about spiritual warfare, but we talked about understanding the devices of the, de of the enemy, and there is an enemy out there. The Bible is very clear about it. Jesus dealt with him. He dealt with Jesus. Jesus gave the author disciples authority over Satan and over all the power of the enemy, and he's still as real today as he was back then. We don't run around afraid of him. We don't run around talking to him or about him a lot, but we need to not be ignorant of his devices, and we've talked about that two, two Wednesday nights ago, and then last week we talked about uh, the grace of God. When you run out of your strength and run out of your ability, uh, that's when the grace of God kicks in. And we ended by talking about something I really never saw before. It's God waits till we run out before He can kick in. And so that's the beginning. It's not the end. When you feel like it's the end, that's the beginning. Because you found out what you can do. And God, the Bible says, Jesus knew men. He knew the manner of men. And God knows us, so He knows that we're determined to do it ourselves. And He'll let you do it yourself until you fall flat on your face, run out of your energy, see what yourself can do, and then when you're ready, he'll come in. Now, he'd come in earlier if we just got smarter. You'd think we'd get smarter, wouldn't you? And we're getting there, I believe, but uh, we'll just trust God that he's so gracious and patient with us. Well, we're going to get back tonight into the study we've been doing for a number of weeks, actually several months now, on spirit, soul, and body. And the key scripture in there is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, which says, Now may your whole spirit, soul, and body be, be sanctified unto the coming of the Lord. Now, what he's teaching us there is there's three parts of you. I'm not going to go back over all of this, but just enough so that we can tie back into it. There's three parts to you that the Bible teaches. Now, some people talk about your, your spirit and your, your, your soul and your body, but the Bible says there's three parts to you, spirit, soul, and body. Your body is obviously the part that you brought, you came in here just as you may have come in some vehicle. Your soul and your spirit came in a vehicle tonight. It's your body, sometimes known as your earth suit, sometimes known as your flesh. And, and uh, we're going to talk a little about that tonight. And, but inside of your flesh, inside of your body, you have a spirit and you have a soul. Your spirit is, your, is the real nature of who you are. And your soul is your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. We talked about the fact that there are two realms of existence that the Bible talks about. There may be more, but there's two realms of existence that the Bible talks about. There's the natural material realm, which is anything that one or more of your five senses can detect. So if you can see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, or, or feel it, then you know that it is of this natural material realm. That's the realm that... The Bible talks about in Genesis 1.1 when it says, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? Of the material realm of existence. And it exists in time. So it has a beginning and it has an end. The other realm of existence that the Bible talks about is called the spirit realm. And that realm is very different than the natural material realm. It has no beginning. It has no end. Now that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because everything we know of has a beginning and has an end. But if you can take something out of time, then it changes all kinds of, all kinds of rules for operation because that's why God can look at you now and know ahead of time what you're going to do because he sees it all at once. We live it out. But God sees everything all at once. That means right now he sees Jesus on the cross for you. So when the Bible says that, that, that he knew you before the foundation of the world, he knows everything at all time 
forever because there's no forever with God. It's just always now. Now, here's the interesting part of that. So your body is of this natural material realm. That means it has a beginning and it has an end. There's a time you're born and there's a time to die. And the Bible says that when you die, this body will return back to the dust from which it came because it's of the material substance of this earth. The other major part of you is your spirit being, and that comes from the spirit realm. So you have inside of you representatives of two different realms of existence, and therein is the challenge. Because you have an eternal realm that when you're born again comes from God. If you're not a born again, it doesn't come from God. And, 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 and you have a natural physical realm, which is your body, and by definition, they cannot naturally contact each other. So that creates a kind of a schizophrenic problem in you, except that God gave you a third part, which is your soul, and your soul is the bridge between your spirit and your, and your body or your flesh. And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And as we got about to that point, I really, that's kind of the basic foundation of a teaching I do or used to do in school of ministry on the course taught several things, renewing the mind, how to be led by the Spirit, and several other courses I taught. And I wanted to kind of go in that direction, but I really felt the Lord directing me to go where we originally were going and to talk about your Spirit and how to be in touch with your Spirit because in the days you and I live in, that's what's going to be critical. The Bible, as you've heard me say many times, the Bible warns in a number of places that in these last days, many Christians will be deceived. We've already seen an example of that about a month ago when you had people selling houses, doing all kinds of crazy things because somebody said that Jesus was coming back and the world was going to come to an end on May, 20, on May 21st. And now they've changed it to August something. All right? But you had people that were deceived by that. Now, you and I can look at it and kind of laugh and chuckle, but what's tragic to me is that there were many people that made catastrophic decisions based on that, and they were deceived. We don't want to be deceived. One of the ways to avoid being deceived is to be rooted and grounded in this because God's given us His Holy Word so that we will be grounded and not easily moved by what things look like and what people say. You need to be trained and well-versed in what this book says. So when somebody comes to you, even if it is me, and says something to you, and it doesn't line up with this, even though I say it, throw it out. Because this is what God gave us. This is what God gave us. I was very blessed when Tony Cook was here several weeks ago, and he talked to me after the, he'd been, he'd been here on a Saturday morning with a training session for workers, and then he'd ministered twice on a Sunday morning. He said, this church, and it's not just me, it goes back to the original foundation. This church, these people are well taught in the Word of God. So that's a plus for us. But we're learning that's not enough. We have to learn to be discerning and discernment has to come from your spirit, the part of you that comes from God. Not only that, but God has put inside of you His own spirit to be a comforter, a counselor. We just sang a song about Holy Spirit, guide me, mold me, shape me. He is the Holy Spirit in 
John chapter 14 and 16, he is referred to as the comforter. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I leave you. Now that's hard to imagine. To me, that's one of the most astounding verses in the Bible, where Jesus, who's lived with these disciples for at least three and a half years, trained them, taught them, showed them the miracles. They've watched him function. He's right there with them. Imagine if you could take Jesus home with you. You wouldn't need to pray on your knees. You'd just turn around at the dinner table and say, what do I do? Well, you know, maybe we wouldn't want to do that. Because <laughs> it's kind of nice to be able to turn God on and off, isn't it? Isn't it? To go to when we want something and to change the channel when we don't want to hear something other than what we want. So if He actually sat in the dining room with us, you couldn't change the channel. He'd be there to tell you what He wants to tell you anytime. And that's where we need to grow to, that we're willing. See, maybe that's why we don't hear from Him more often. Oh, well, that's another subject for another day. Okay, that went over a bit. All right. Let's stay on track, John. Okay. Now, so you've got Jesus that it's, it's to your advantage that I leave you. In other words, what's going to happen because I leave is better than having me with you. And he said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's better. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send to you another comforter. The Greek word for another is alos, A-L-L-O-S, which means another of the same kind. There's a different Greek word for other, which is Altar, which means another of a different kind. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave you and I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to send a replacement for me that's going to be better than having me because He's been with you in me and now He's going to be in you. Now, what that means is we have God's own Spirit. Romans 8, 11 says the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. There's only one Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't have a big version of Him, and we get a little version of Him. There's only one Holy Spirit, and the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, that raised His body from the dead in the pit of hell, that same Spirit dwells in you tonight. The power of God, the wisdom of God, the guidance of God. The gentleman that founded the Bible school that we went to tells a story of a friend of his he knew that learned to commune with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit told him where to invest in and what to invest in. Because God knows. And let me tell you something he most likely won't do. He will most likely not tell you what the winning lottery number is tomorrow. That's gambling. There's a difference between investing and gambling, usually. And so my point is, he's in you. He's an incredible resource that God has put in you. And how often do we turn to him? And when we turn, but see, he's not always waiting for you to turn to him. He's in there trying to direct you. But because we're so busy trying to handle things and because our flesh is so noisy, and our mind is untrained, we don't discern what He's trying to do inside of us. So it's valuable. The purpose of our study now is to learn to become more aware of your spirit, who your spirit man is, and also of the Holy Spirit who's in you. Now turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And this is what we were studying last time. 
Now, Galatians chapter 1 through chapter 4 is all about the grace of God. That we're saved by grace and not by works. Chapter 5 starts out by saying, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or freedom by which Christ has made us free. Free from what? Free from the bondage of the law, which means that your standing before God is based on what you do. Free from the bondage of sin. We're going to see that tonight. He's made us free. So don't be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. The believers that this letter was written to were people that were saved, that were filled with the Holy Ghost, and that, were, that had been delivered from, the, from bondage of the law and of fear, and now they were being tempted to go back under that by tempted to be keeping the, law, the requirements of the law. And so Paul is writing to them saying, don't get entangled again in that yoke of bondage. So he's saying, you've been delivered, you've been set free, don't go back into the bondage again. Now, having said that they were set free, let's go over to verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called into liberty or freedom. Only don't use your liberty or freedom as an opportunity to the flesh. Everybody say this word, balance. balance. Say it again, balance. balance. We need balance in our doctrine, balance in our understanding. Now, there's some, things we should, there's some things we're to be unbalanced in. We're to be unbalanced in our devotion to the Lord. You can't go overboard in your devotion to the Lord. You're to be unbalanced in your walking away from sin. So balance doesn't mean I balance some sin with some righteousness. But in terms of certain principles in the Bible, what happens is they require a balance, two sides to the doctrine, two sides to the coin. We learned when Tony Cook was here, when he was teaching on grace, out of, out of Ephesians chapter 2, the verse that talks so powerfully about it says, You're, we're saved by grace, received through faith, and we're saved unto good works. So people get confused between grace and good works. And they think, well, I'm saved, my standing before God is based on whether I'm good or not. No, you can't be good enough to establish good standing before God because God's standard is himself. So if you're able to be as perfect as God does, not just today, but all the time, forever, for your whole life, starting when you were born, and that takes care of all of us, other than that, you need grace. But once you've been saved by grace, we're saved for a purpose, which is to carry out the good works that God has... Now, that's balance. And Paul here is teaching something. We're going to see it again in Romans. Paul is teaching, you've been set free from the bondage of the law. The bondage is you could never keep it. And therefore, we've been delivered from the power of sin that it held over us. But now he's saying the other side of the coin, the other side of the ditches, we can, we can feel we're so free from the bondage of the law, we can just go do whatever we want. In other words, there's no responsibility that comes with that freedom. <laughs> if you've ever been a teenager or had a teenager, and they get to that stage where they're 15 or 16 years old, and they want something that not all teenagers, we've got good ones here, but I'm talking about outside of there, think they're entitled to, 
which are the keys to the car. They want the freedom now that they're 16 to drive your car. But you understand that with that freedom comes a responsibility. I heard a story the other day of a kid who <laughs> went to his dad and said, Dad, he's 15 years old, said, I think it's time that I buy my own clothes. Dad said, I think that's a great idea. And they just stood there staring at each other like the son was expecting something. And he said, well, you know, I think that's fine. Go buy your own clothes. He said, well, I need money. <laughs> he said, then you didn't mean buy your own clothes. <laughs> you mean pick them out and I pay for them. <laughs> so we want the freedom, but don't recognize that with that freedom, there's a balance that there's a responsibility. So that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, don't use your freedom, your liberty, as, listen to this, I love the way he words it in the New King James, as an opportunity for the flesh. That tells us the flesh is going to try to take advantage of the opportunity presented by your freedom. And we have the control to say no to that opportunity. And that's what he's going to talk about. But through love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you are consumed by one another. And this is where I want to get to, verse 16. This is what we talked about last time, two weeks, three weeks ago. But I say to you then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Your flesh lusts. And that's not just a sexual thing. Lusting is wanting for something at all cost. I have to have it, and I have to have it now. One way to find out if you're lusting is to say no. And find out what your reaction is. Just say, not now. We'll do it tomorrow and see what kind of reaction you get. If you find you start getting angry or upset, you can tell that's your flesh. It wants it now. It wants it on its terms. And that's why there's some things we may learn about later on about how to keep your flesh under control. But before we get there, the thing that Paul's teaching us here, and we talked about this last time, what we've tried to do is to control our flesh by our flesh. And Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, the word walk means to conduct your life. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we talked about the fact, and again, I've never been trained in this, but I've, I remember in high school being taught these basic principles, that if firefighters are trained on what the essential elements that a fire needs in order to burn. Now, there's terrible wildfires going on out in Arizona. There were some earlier this year in, our, in, in Texas where they get, it gets out of control. And what they teach you, and some of you may know this better than I do, is that it takes fuel, it takes heat, and it takes oxygen in order for fire to burn. And the way you put a fire out is you remove one or more of those. 
So when you pour water on a fire, you're doing two things. You're removing the oxygen, and the second thing is you're cooling it down, and you're removing the heat. Another way is to remove... That's why in, uh, when, uh, when I talked to that pastor in Joplin, and what I discovered is that the people, even the people who were not hurt by the, by the tornado that went through there, that their houses weren't destroyed, they still were suffering because they cut all the power and the, and the gas off. Why? Why would they do that? Because they're afraid of fires. And so if, if there's a ruptured gas line somewhere, even though it's not in your house, and there's gas flowing through it, there can be a huge explosion. So what they do is they remove the fuel that can cause the fire. And that's what Paul's saying here. The way to take the power of the sin away is to remove the fuel. And the way you remove the fuel is by walking in the Spirit. I taught you the principle. And it's very important to understand this principle because the devil uses it. And so we want to be careful not to fall into his trap. And the principle is this. The more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. And I'm sure most, many of us have had this experience of, you know, coming through Christmas or the holidays and you, you know, you, you, you get dressed to go to work after the holidays and, and somehow your clothes shrink over the holidays. You know, and you look in the mirror and you start getting angry at yourself. So what do you do? You determine, I'm going to lose some weight. And the more you think about losing weight and the more you think about not eating the more you want to eat. That was the power of the law. Because the law said that your right standing before God was based on keeping the rules, and most of them were things you couldn't do. And the more you thought about not doing it, the more you wanted to do it. We lost our power last week, but then we lost it the other day, and Anita was going through the freezer and cleaning things out, and she found a frozen Snickers bar. I'm not a big candy person, but Snickers are anointed. And she's told me, she says, there's a frozen Snickers bar in there. Now, I thought it was one of those ice cream ones because I already had it in my mouth. I mean, I was planning, already had... And so we came home from prayer last night, and she said, no, it's, it's a regular one. And then she was looking. She said, it's actually two bars in it. I had every intention of eating both of them. <laughs> so I took the first one, and we went in the other room and sat down, and we're just resting and talking, you know, and I ate that first one. went down nice and easy. And my, halfway through the first one, I already can see the other one <laughs> sitting out on the counter, getting soft. So if you get soft, you know, you might... It's amazing what your brain does. Here's what went through my mind. It's going to get soft and melt, so I better eat it now. But then I got, I got much more righteous in my thinking. I said, isn't it... I said, if you leave it till... If you don't eat it now, you're going to eat it later. Wouldn't it be better to get it just out of the way now and stuff yourself now? Now tell me I'm not the only person who ever thought that. Because the Bible says there's no temptation that's come unto you that's not common to man. So I know I'm not the only one that had that thought. See how devious our flesh is? It'll talk to you. It'll talk to you. 
you decide to fast someday, you'll tell you you'll die. You'll never make it through breakfast. You'll die. It's amazing how our flesh talks to us. We need to know the voice of our flesh and learn to discern it from the voice of our spirit. So he says here, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If the flesh, the lusts of the flesh are not fulfilled, they'll grow dimmer. I learned years ago that if I got a mosquito bite, if I scratched it, it made it worse. Because all scratching does is spread out that saliva under your skin, and the more you itch it, the more it itches. I discovered that if I don't scratch it, it'll itch for a few minutes, maybe five minutes, but then it will stop itching and go away. And the same is true of the rest of your flesh. If you don't satisfy and feed that lust, it will eventually fade out. The other side's true. If you give in to the lust, the, the, the lie is it'll go away. The truth is your flesh will want it more. So if you understand ahead of time that if I give in to this now, I'm going to have to come around and confront it later. And the more I feed that, the more difficult it's going to be until it brings me down. All right. Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. That word lust, I've looked it up in the Greek. It means to hunger after, want, have a strong desire for. And here it's against. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. In other words, there's a battle going on inside of you between your flesh and your spirit. Your spirit is born of God. Your spirit wants to obey God. Your spirit wants to please God. Your spirit wants to serve God. Your flesh wants to please itself. Your flesh wants to worship itself. And your flesh wants to have its own way. And they are at war against each other. And the battleground for that war is your mind. Now, let's go over to Romans, because that's where we went from here. We'll come back here later, maybe not tonight. Let's go over to Romans, because you'll see the same kind of discussion here, but it's spread out a little bit by Apostle Paul. And it's interesting, because as I was going back over some of this today and, uh, and meditating on some of this, I, these are some of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans 1 through 8. The rest of it's great, but those, those are the clearest expression of the doctrine that Jesus revealed to Paul, of we're saved by, right, by, by faith and not by our own deeds. And having come through again the first four chapters, Paul begins the fifth chapter, having talked about the grace of God, defining the grace of God, giving examples of the grace of God. It says in chapter 5, Therefore, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now having laid again... And here in Romans, that foundation that our standing before God is based on what our faith in what Jesus, God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And that we are now free from the bondage of pleasing God by the things that we do. Earning our standing before God by the things that we do. Having said that, now Paul has to address the other side of the issue. And that's chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Now notice the tense of the verb there. 
How shall we who have died to sin still live in it any longer? Let me ask you a question. If you died to something, how is it possible to still live in it? Well, we'll get into this a little more. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Don't get hung up with the word baptized. What it means is immersed into, dunked into, saturated with. So what he's saying is if you've been joined to Christ, then you've been joined to him in his death, and you've also been joined, and we're going to go on and read again. You've been joined to him in his death. Look at the next verse. Therefore you were buried, buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. What he's saying is when you came to Christ by faith in him, you were joined to him. Ephesians 2 says that before the verses that we quoted earlier. It says you've been joined to him. You've been made one with him. So if I've been joined to him, whatever's happened to him is deemed to have happened to me. So I didn't get on a cross and die 2,000 years ago, but I've been made one with the one who did. So therefore, whatever he's gone through, it's as if I went through it too, because I'm now one with him. So that's what he's saying. He says, you don't understand. You've misunderstood the message I've taught. If your thought is, now that I know that I'm free from, from a, having to keep the law to be righteous in God's eyes, now that I know I'm free from that, oh, therefore I can go do what I want. In fact, here's this idea. The more I sin, the more opportunity I give God to be gracious. That sounds like I better eat the whole candy bar now so that I don't have to deal with this tomorrow. It's the same kind of rationale. And Paul, look what Paul says. <laughs> so how can you think that way? In other words, he says, you don't understand what your salvation means. Because when you were saved, you died with him. You were buried with him. And the good news is, you'll be raised with him also. Raised, as he was raised from the dead, you were raised to newness of life. Yeah. Let's go on and describe some of the things that that means. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was, past tense, done with, crucified with him, that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. There is one place tonight in the city of Providence that I can guarantee to you that no sin will be committed. It's the morgue. There is not one cadaver in there tonight that's going to commit a sin. Why? They're dead. Let's put it another way. The only avenue that Satan has to tempt you to sin is through your flesh. He can't tempt you through your spirit. It's born of God. So he works at you through your five senses. He came to Eve in the garden and he, she said to Adam, it looked good. To, in other words, my senses said, yeah, this is good. Even though God had said, 
Don't touch it. Don't eat it. So his avenue at you is only avenue. Keep it this. Think of this. See, this, the, the, the battle against him is so much easier than it seems like or feels like. First of all, the Bible tells us he has no temptation that he can come at you that's not common to man. In other words, he doesn't have some trick up his sleeve nobody's ever seen before. Now, he knows you well. He knows your weaknesses because he's worked to develop them and we've cooperated with him. So he knows what temptation to bring to you, many cases, because he's just listened to us. You know, he's not all that smart, but he's got good ears. We're going to talk about this down the road. The power of your words. He just has to listen to you. You'll tell him what strategy will work with you. If this happens one more time, I'm going to quit. Oh, really? Isn't that interesting? Let's take a note on that one. If that person says that to me again, oh, well, let's get that with them together again. Let's make sure that they sit next to each other next Sunday. I'm telling literally. He just has to li- listen. You ought to listen to yourself. L- listen to yourself as if you were your enemy. Looking for strategy. Now, I was born literally at the end of World War II, but my parents met in World War II. My mother lived in a community, grew up in a community where they, they, they had a shipyard that made destroyers. And so there was a lot of security around that area. And, they, and I know this happened in other parts of the country too. But they were instructed to be very careful what they said. I'm talking about civilians around strangers because their view then was that there were spies planted in the community to try to find out secrets and all they had to do was listen I suggest to you that there are spies today spiritual spies sent out to find out what strategy is going to work best in you in your marriage in your family in your testimony, and all they got to do is listen to us. Amazing. And so there's a battle that's going on. And, and Paul is saying here that our old man was crucified so that the body of sin may be done away with. Now, obviously, your body's still around. What he's talking about here is when you came to Christ, the old man, the nature that fed your flesh. That nature died. And God put a new nature in you, His own nature. So what you have now when you're born again is you have God's nature in you trying to produce, and we'll look at this later because Paul talks about it in Galatians 5, trying to produce what's called the fruit of the Spirit out of you and that fruit really is what the nature of God is like. But that fruit is coming out of your nature, but it's expressed, as we talked about weeks ago, it's expressed through your body, but your body wasn't saved. It's the same old stinking body you had before you came to Christ. So now, before you came to Christ, your nature wanted to do those things, and your nature and your flesh were hooked up together in a partnership to do them. 
Now God's come inside of you and changed your nature. You've heard me share when people have come forward that what we try to do is we try to change ourselves by changing our outward behavior. And you've many times heard me use this example. It's, I've got out, we've got an, in our front yard, we've got a crab apple tree. Now it's, it, it, but it produces in the springtime beautiful purple flowers and then will eventually produce crab apples. But let's suppose it's a, it's a real apple tree. A real apple tree in the apple season, in the fall, will produce what? This isn't a trick question. Apples. So that's not shocking to go out into an apple orchard and see, oh my goodness, this apple tree has apples on it. But suppose, now the tree we have needs to come down. It's diseased. It's, it's done. Suppose instead of dealing with that, I decided that I wanted this to be a pear tree. So Anita goes to the store. I go to the store. We buy a whole bunch of beautiful, plump, ripe pears. And we take some Elmer's glue and we go out on these branches and we glue pears all over these branches. Now, if you don't know enough about what trees look like and you drive by and you looked and said, yeah, they've got a pear tree in their yard, unless you happen to know what the branches of a pear tree really look like. But if you're just kind of, you know, new at this stuff, like a new Christian, and you drive by and say, what a beautiful pear tree Pastor John and Anita have in their yard. And then the first windstorm we have, we find out that those pears will only last as long as the glue holds. And that's what we try to do. We try to change who we are by changing our fruit. So we glue good behavior on ourselves. We glue nice words on our mouth. We glue good deeds on our hands. We glue help on our feet to go help our neighbor. And that's great until we run into the first storm and find out that those good deeds don't stay there very long. Listen to me, why? Because they didn't come out of the core nature of the tree. They were artificially pasted on to be fruit of something that didn't create them. So God, in His infinite wisdom, says, here's what i got to do. i got to go change their nature. So what I'm going to do is not just give them a good nature, I'm going to give them my nature, so that way they can be my child. So from the moment you come to Christ and are born again, God's nature is birthed in you by the Holy Spirit. Not only that, we saw back in, in Ezekiel that God says, I'll put my own spirit in you to help to empower you. But that just begins the process. Now the rest of the process is learning to, for that nature to grow and develop. It doesn't just grow in you because it's in you any more than a baby grows because it's born. It has to be fed. It has to be loved. It has to exercise as it grows along in order for it to grow and become stronger and healthier. Well, this nature that God's birthed in you is fed on the sincere milk of the Word of God. That's why it's vital that you continue to put God's Word in you. Not just read it, absorb it, meditate on it, speak it out, act on it. 
And that allows the God's, the Spirit of God inside of you to begin to feed your spirit, to grow, to become more and more Christ-like in your nature. So now there's the power to produce His fruit out of you, not you sticking fruit on. The fruit that's produced out of you is fruit that will remain. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I chose you so that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So the process we're in is to help the Holy Spirit strengthen us and develop this fruit in us so that it will work its way to the outside. When Paul talks about in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying earn your salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying take the salvation that's been birthed in you and work it to the outside. So here's the key. Now it helps to understand the parts because that's what Paul's talking about. See, now what's how he says, for if we've, verse 8, for if we've died with Christ, what part of me died with Christ? The nature of me died. The old nature died with him and a new nature was born in me. Now the old nature couldn't overcome my flesh because it was of the same nature as my flesh. But the new nature is born of God and it is more powerful than my flesh. And that's what Paul's pointing out here. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives unto God. That's great. We understand that. Verse 11. But likewise you also... Reckon, that word is an accounting word which means count or consider yourself to be dead to sin. This is how you have to do it. Does that mean sin doesn't raise up in your flesh? Well, we all know it does. But you have to recognize you're not controlled. You're not to be controlled by your flesh. But see, unless we understand this, we walk so much by our feelings and our emotions and how things seem to us that this temptation seems like that Snickers bar. See, I did not eat the second half. And here's how I did, why I didn't. Because I recognized that the issue was one of self-control. The issue wasn't with that second small Snickers bar hurt me. No, I'd already calculated the calories out. They were in the range that I thought was acceptable to eat. Besides, I figured I'd get on the Nordic track the next day and burn them off. I had it all worked out. I didn't stop eating it because I couldn't afford the calories. I stopped eating it because I decided to exercise control over my flesh. Understand you are not your flesh. Just like you are not your mind. We'll learn that later on. You are, say that out loud with me. I am not my flesh. Say it again. I am not my flesh. Now look at your flesh. Say, I am not you. I have dominion over you. You do not have dominion over me. It would do you good to do that every day. Yes. 
talk to your, it talks to you. If you don't answer it, it's a slam dunk. I answered it last night. And I said, I will not eat that other Snicker, half of the Snickers bar. I made it tonight. But I will. <laughs> But if I do, it will be because I decided to, not I gave in to my flesh. Do you hear the difference? The issue is self-control. We're going to see that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. The issue is self, who's ruling you? You need to ask yourself that question. Because if your flesh is ruling you, that tells me and you, your spirit is not. Now we'll go back to what we talked about at the beginning. Every answer you're ever going to need, the ability to overcome in your life, the wisdom of God, the direction of God, the resurrection from the dead, it's all going to come out of your spirit. In fact, I'll say this to you. Healing comes out of your spirit. It doesn't drop down out of heaven. The power to heal your body is in you now. But the key to unlocking all of that is who's in dominion. If your flesh is in dominion, then you're being led by the devil because he's the God of this earth and not by the Spirit of God and then we wonder why we're struggling. No condemnation in this, because we'll see that, maybe not tonight. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation, but there's freedom. Freedom, first of all, comes by knowledge and understanding. God's bringing to us understanding so that we can walk in the victory that Jesus paid for. Not just on Sunday morning shouting, lifting our hands in the air, but Monday morning, Tuesday morning, when you get under pressure, when, when, when you're staring at that other half of that Snickers bar, when, when you're, because those little victories determine the big ones. Let me, let me, if you can't, and I'm talking to me as much as you, it's easier because I said no last night, but if you can't say no to something your flesh wants to eat, why do you think down the road you won't say, be, have trouble saying no to something that's far more serious? Because no's no. They're all an issue of who's controlling the flesh. The enemy is a schemer. And the schemes he's working, he does nothing by accident, just like God doesn't do anything by accident. And when he brings a temptation to you and you give in to that temptation, you yield to that, he's, he's weakening you to stand against the next one and then he's weakening you to stand against the next one and weakening you to stand against... He's laying a series of bait and traps for you to bring you to that place because almost no one, no one I've ever known that's gotten themselves in serious trouble, whether it's immorality or whatever it is, chose to get there. In fact, when you go back through counseling with them, one of the things you've got to go back over is how did you end up 
blowing through that rule you know is wrong. You didn't do it then. It started by blowing through other things that were much smaller. And here's what God wants to say to us and show us from the Word of God. First of all, for you to understand that you have dominion, not your flesh. The one, your old nature that couldn't control your flesh died when you came to Christ. And God gave you a new nature, His nature. And that nature is alive unto God and that nature has the authority of God because to have dominion over your flesh. Your flesh will only serve whoever's controlling it. Your flesh is weak. Remember Jesus said to the disciples because they couldn't even pray an hour? Couldn't you even pray with me an hour? He says the flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I was reading that guy, God, my flesh is weak. And all of a sudden, was, that's good news. If my flesh is weak, that shows you how much we've tried to dominate it. If it's weak and we've lost to a weak enemy, when you stand against your flesh, it has to obey you. Now, if you've been letting it loose for years, it's going to be, it's like a little child. It's like a spoiled brat. The first time you stand up to a spoiled brat, the spoiled brat has a series of devices, flip charts, to go through and try on you to see if they can get you to change your mind. So it may be just crying and making a lot of noise. And when you don't move by that, they'll get angry. If you don't move by that, they'll threaten to kill themselves. If you don't move by that, they'll try. It's like going through a flip chart. And, and they don't realize how obvious it is. Your flesh is just like that. When you stand up to it, just try to fast a meal if you're not used to it. Say, I'm not going to, you won't, you'll live. I'm not going to eat lunch tomorrow. And instead, I'm going to take that time and pray. You, you listen to what your body says to you. I remember when I first decided to get up early in the morning and pray. Because this is when I had a long drive to work. I was still practicing law. I had to get up 5 o'clock in the morning to pray. The first morning, the alarm goes off. My body's screaming at me, if you get out of bed now, you're going to die. I went through what my day was going to be like. You'll be exhausted. You know, then I said, no, I'm going to get up anyway. I made a commitment to get up. Then the next thought was, well, this will be a waste of time because you'll fall asleep down there. <laughs> so I went down to my basement, opened my Bible. Now, instead of falling asleep, as I'm trying to concentrate on the Word, my mind's running on everything i got to do today. This mind that my body was telling me to be so sleepy, I'm having trouble controlling it because it's so active. The issue is it just wants to do what it wants to do. The answer is you have dominion over your flesh because the new being in you, the new man, is alive unto God. The old man died. Now it's up to you whether you exercise that tonight. But your future, God's ability to bless you, it doesn't mean God's love for you, but your, God's ability to cooperate, your ability to cooperate with God working in your life is very closely tied to your ability to have dominion over your flesh. Because God's guidance and God's provision flows most of the time through your spirit. And if your flesh is dominating you, your spirit is not. And your spirit won't scream and yell at you, but your flesh will. It's hard to hear a still small voice when everything around you is screaming. And that's what we're going to learn.